This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Welcome to Stop Homer Time, a podcast from the boys at Overdue, a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. We're back. We're back in the Homeric world, Craig. Yes. How does it feel? Journey with me back to the Dardanelles, or as we refer to it now, the Conical Strait. Um, but we're here in... Akaya? No, we're not in Akaya. Akaya? Akaya is what I've always learned. All right, sure. Um, we're not. No, the Akayans are coming, Andrew. They're coming mm-hmm. to Ilium. Uh huh. And we gotta get ready. We gotta build some big walls to keep them out. Hmm. Um. And they're gonna find a way in. Unfortunately, they're gonna find a way in. I wonder how though. Like, I wonder. There's not like any kind of like idiom or no like symbolic creature made out of any particular like material that yeah no that they can i don't know how they're going to breach the walls it'll be a surprise to everybody yeah it will this is our (laughs) series where we are going to read a few books at a time emily wilson's translation of the iliad by homer um (laughs) god uh or whoever got together and thought that homer was a cool name hundreds Mm -hmm. of years ago uh, this is episode zero, Andrew. Episode zero, ground zero. Uh, which we are publishing to both our main feed and to our Patreon feed. So if you are listening to this on the main feed, maybe go sign up for the Patreon and you can listen to episode one right now. Yeah, right now, baby. Um, because the way this is going to work, like our other long read projects, is we're going to do monthly installments for our Patreon supporters. Uh, we're going to do 10 episodes for this poem uh and you can you know listen ten, to yeah to 10 numbered episodes plus yep. the secret special episode zero that you're listening to right now so it's already you're already listening to kind of bonus <laughs> extra content yeah if you think about it and who knows maybe there will be other surprises along the way who can say who can um, say i can't no i really surpri- can't <laughs> surprises <laughs> Uh, but if you want to listen and read along with us, which you definitely should, you can go to patreon.com slash overdue pod and sign up. Otherwise, we will post these to the main feed like our other long reads, but they will be significantly delayed because uh, of that good old exclusivity window. Mm-hmm. I'm sure but Homer everything, had something yeah. like that, too. And yeah, Homer probably posted like a couple books at a time and he was like, OK, like and subscribe. <laughs> And you can get books early while I'm working on them, but I will post them to my AO3 page eventually. Because this is the Iliad, which is the book that we're reading, as translated by Emily Wilson, yeah. who mm-hmm. you might remember from our episodes Odyssey. about the Odyssey, if you've yep. listened to them. Yep. Uh, she is pretty clear that, you know, the, the Iliad as written is kind of the original fan fiction, if you think about it. The because true. it is it is both a it is a like compilation of myths that people would have already known about, but also like a lot of the stories and like symbols that you might 
associate with the Trojan War, just like don't appear in this book, nope. <laughs> which is fun. Um, so her uh, book, which came out, did it come out in September? Is that September the month that of twenty twenty three? Um, if you read it, you really are missing out if you do not read the. The introduction, but especially the translator's note where she talks about the work and then talks about like her relationship with the work and her approach to translating it. I think that is kind of what got us super hype about reading her Odyssey and reading reading her translator's note about this got me hype about it again. Um, (laughs) She says um, she talks about a lot of the story, including the, like the Trojan horse. Let's take that. That's the biggest, most notable example. And I think somebody in our discord mentioned this too. Is yep. like, I was reading the Iliad and I kept waiting for the, for them to get to the fireworks factory and for the Trojan horse to be there. And the <laughs> Trojan horse never shows up. <laughs> the other major thing from the myths that you might know about the Trojan war is there's, I think there are references to, but no depiction of the like wedding where there was a competition over who was cool and the three goddesses all had to convince Paris why they were cool. Mm-hmm. And he was I don't like, believe we actually see like the launching of the thousand ships yeah. that Helen's face does, you know? Mm, no, I, I think don't we think hear so. stories about it or like yeah. see small scale reenactments of it, but we don't hear about it. Yep. Um, anyway, I interrupted your thing. No, no, just that like Paris <laughs> is uh, given Helen of Troy by Aphrodite to win this contest, and like that sets all this in motion. Not really part of the poem. It's it's not here. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of those things, uh, especially the Trojan horse, get like popularized by the Aeneid, which is a poem I don't know at all. Um, but that's- yeah, she and she says, and, and that's us as a modern reader. Yeah. And I, I will say upfront, I don't like the Aeneid. It's weird propaganda. I don't think, I mean, unless <laughs> Emily Wilson does a translation of it, which I don't think she will because it's Latin and this is Greek. I don't think we're going to do it. I've never one. read the I've Aeneid. Just never, yeah. I've never cared for it as much, um, even though I was a Latinist in as a classics major and not sure. a, a big Greek Greco. <laughs> Not a big gr- Greek, which is a portmanteau of Greek and geek. The oh. <laughs> record an episode zero. They said <laughs> it would be fun. They said, but she says, you know, people at the time um, would have known. So she says, we know about many of them. That's the stories that aren't mentioned yep. directly in the Iliad. Uh, from quotations and summaries of lost texts, such as the Cypria, the Little Iliad, and the. Ethiopia, Ethiopus, all mm. non-Homeric epics about Trojan legend. Numerous ancient poets, dramatists, and visual artists re- recycled and reinvented this rich body of myth, and yet not, almost none of these stories appears directly in the Iliad. Uh, the poem avoids all the obvious highlights of the traditional story, including the wooden horse that does not start at the beginning, etc., etc. So it's like, really, somebody did go into a party and be like, hey, can you tell me about the Trojan War, but don't play any of the hits? <laughs> No singles, yeah. only album tracks. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, and then she also she spends kind of the end of um, a little bit of the translator's note, but certainly the end of the intro, talking about obviously like the the unique. So this okay, th- this poem we think you know it's set in like twelfth or thirteenth century BCE. Mm-hmm. It was probably written down for the first time 
in like the eight, like seventh or eighth century BCE. Yeah, mid around the mid eighth century BCE, she says. The oldest manuscript copy we have is something called Venetus A, which was copied in tenth century AD. The first printed copy comes out in fourteen eighty nine. Uh, and then the first English translation doesn't even show up until like the late 1590s or early 1600s. Mm-hmm. So she talks about like the Aeneid kind of being the Western canon version of this tale for a long, 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 long time. And then we get into the 20th century and, oh, look, we are subsumed by war and conflict. Mm-hmm. And the scholar, you know, it resonate. Obviously, other people were already paying attention to the Iliad, but like there's a resonance with the work that is newer and different. Um, and then she just, I'm just going to read the last two paragraphs of the intro, Andrew. Okay. Because they made me put the book down. And not okay. in a bad way. <laughs> um, she says, We are now in a period of crisis, not for a specific nation, but for humanity, inhabiting a planet that is becoming less and less habitable. A new kind of heartbreak can be felt in the Iliad's representation of a city in its last days, of triumphs and defeats and struggles and speeches that take place in a city that will soon be burned to the ground, in a landscape that will soon be flooded by all the rivers, in a world where soon no people will live at all, and there will be no more stories and no more names. You already know the story. You will die. Everyone you love will also die. You will lose them forever. You will be sad and angry. You will weep. You will bargain. You will make demands. You will beg. You will pray. It will make no difference. Nothing you can do will bring them back. You know this. Your knowing changes nothing. This poem will make you understand this unfathomable truth again and again, as if for the very first time. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. This is, is going to be a romp. This is going <laughs> to yeah, be a good really, time book. <laughs> she sandwiches the introduction with those things, because in the, in the early introduction, too, she says, We die too soon, and there is no adequate rec- recompense for the terrible, inevitable loss of life. Yet through poetry, the words, actions, and feelings of some long-ago short livers may be remembered even 3,000 years later. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so it's a poem about death. That's a that's fun. Yeah, death she and war what did she call it? She said a themes. poem less of glory than of mourning was a phrase yeah. that she mm-hmm. used, which really yeah. stuck out to me. Yeah, and I think that is that is driven home by its explicit avoidance of yeah, you know, like the the fun action set pieces yep. of like you know springing out of a wooden horse and taking over the city. It's yes. you're, you're dealing very much with. <laughs> the messy like in the middle parts of a of a war where nobody is quite sure what the wind condition is and people are just kind of dying yep 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 um real quick on emily wilson in case this is your first wilson which like i mean welcome but also go read the odyssey yeah also what are you doing (laughs) Uh, she was born 1971. She's a British classicist and a professor at University of Pennsylvania, studied at Oxford, doctor from Yale. Uh, she was named a fellow of the American Academy in Rome in 2016. Um, she has translated four plays for a 2016 publication um, in Random House. She's done like work on Seneca, Euripides, and Sophocles, I think, are the three mm-hmm. she name checks in the intro or the translator's note. Mm-hmm. Um, and... She's been a MacArthur Fellow and a Guggenheim Fellow um, and just all about cool lady who is really invested in the Greek poems. And, yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, she, seems, she seems to take her charge with them pretty 
personally and i don't mean that in a derogatory way like yeah yeah yeah. Uh, like she so the start of her translators no and i i will say like and we'll talk maybe a little bit more as we go about yeah. our existing relationship with this work yeah um so i had sort of assumed because i personally have traditionally liked the odyssey better than the iliad i just think it's a it's a more scannable story there like it's the the episodes in it are more varied and more like discreet, I think. And so it's, it's more memorable to my mind. Sure. Um, so I'd assume kind of Emily Wilson felt the same way and that's why she started the Odyssey ahead of the Iliad. But that is, that is not, I was mistaken. No. <laughs> Um, she says, I first began reading Homer in high school early in my study of ancient Greek. I liked the Odyssey, but I loved the Iliad with a passionate devotion. Um, I have now lived with this poems for some 35 years, rereading it, teaching it to undergraduates in the original and in various translations, and now rendering it into English. For the past six years, I have worked intensively on this translation, but even now when I turn back to lines I have read hundreds of times already, I find that the raw power of the Greek still startles me, like Athena suddenly tugging Achilles by the hair to stop him in his tracks. Often I am unable to read without goosebumps, tears, or both. And yeah, like that's a pretty powerful, like one reason why I'm excited to do this. Yeah. I mean, one is just that it's going to be good content, everybody. It's going to be a lot of... <laughs> we had fun the last Patreon.com time. Patreon.com. Join up. <laughs> but the second is like, I want to feel about this work the way that Emily mm. Wilson feels about this work. Sure. And we can talk about some of the things she says that she paid attention to in, in the translator's note. But the thing that we liked about her Iliad, I think, is how... Her odyssey. Her Odyssey, yeah. Odyssey yes, sorry. Uh, uh, she makes it feel modern, but not like slangy or anachronistic in any way. She she makes it easy to follow uh, without, you know, like making it some, into something that it isn't. Yeah. No, there are, co- there are a couple of things to that point that I have in my notes here are like, she has said this for both works. She's very focused on sound and rhythm. Um, like her thinking is these poems were composed in an oral tradition. So any, any language that feels literary is a kind of, is a word that she uses is not correct. Yeah. The line that I, that I pulled for that is she says, I hope that most readers of this translation do not realize how deeply I love Shakespeare, let alone Milton. Like she, (laughs) And she talks a lot about, you know, so she's ri- she's writing it in iambic pentameter again. The original Greek is in... Dac- it's back, baby. It's, she's, the original Greek is in dactylic hexameter, which is la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la for however the many feet, poetic feet there are. And iambic pentameter is the ba-bum-ba-bum-ba-bum-ba-bum-ba-bum. Uh, to be or not... To, well, yeah, to be or not to be, yada, 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 yada. Um, I mean, you could... <laughs> <laughs> you could have done the yada yada in rhythm at least. <laughs> to be or not to be, yada yada yada. Yeah. Um, one of the things I, I liked that she uh, mentions is that she varies some of what she call you know what we call the patronymics. So like she checks what uh, Zeus the cloud gatherer is one way you might say or cloud gathering Zeus, and sometimes she writes it as like. Zeus who gathers clouds or Zeus the one who gathers clouds just because mm-hmm. she knows it's going to be repetitive and she wants the thing to flow in a certain way and she's a she's wary of what it will look like to a modern reader if she never varies it yeah but she's also yeah. not trying to put in like 
Zeus the cool guy with the sky powers, like as a more anachronistic way to put it. Yeah, because she she talked about, she she says for like the first two years that she was working on it, she was basically stuck because she I remember that, yeah. And I completely understand the feeling of like not even knowing where to begin in a in a big project like this like just trying to she tried a lot of different rhythms before she settled on coming back to iambic pentameter yep and she talks about the ways that other translators have approached like trying to give the poem a, a rhythm and she says to make this alien rhythm work, it was more or less impossible not to resort to peculiar word choices such as scion of Atreus, where the original does not use markedly weird language. <laughs> and that's like so the 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 language of this is interesting because it's super anachronistic anyway. Like there there are references from th- th- there is Greek in here from multiple th- that eras would never of Greek. ever have yeah. been spoken by one single person. Well, because she, it was just yeah. Something I didn't know that she mentions in the intro is that like in the centuries preceding it being written down, like this part of Greek society would have been like largely illiterate. Like mm-hmm. literacy as a as a cultural tool had gone away for a little while and so the the fact that it is a mashup of different uh vernaculars and different you know regional dialects is is something that she's she has limited ability to capture Mm -hmm. which she says but she like so in reflection of that you know this this being an oral thing that would have been performed for largely illiterate people like the the language is not super highfalutin nope and a, a trap that a lot of translators have fallen into. I don't remember whose who's Iliad specifically that I have on my shelf. I know I have read Homer by Richmond Lattimore. I know that I have read have you stuff read Fitzgerald? by Robert, uh, Robert Fagels, and then I think some Fitzgerald, yes. Fitzgerald is the Odyssey I read in high school. Mm-hmm. The Fagels, I don't mind. The So my relationship with the Iliad, I'll just sneak this in in between your points. Sure, yeah is I, d- I directed a production, and I don't think I'd ever read the Iliad before this, which, for whatever reason, directed a production of a play called An Iliad in 2016 to by Lisa Peterson and Dennis O'Hare. It's a really wonderful, like, one person is speaking, another person is a musician uh, rendition of the story that has some contemporary, like, contemporary elements, but is rooted in the Fagel's mm-hmm. translation um, and I love that play. It was, it was amazing. It was a very fraught time to do it. We were literally in previews during the election of 2016. It was a very tough time to do an, an anti-war play, uh, about a society, you know, tearing itself apart. It's kind of fun. Um, <laughs> but I fell in love with a lot of the language of the, of the poem. Um, so it's even been fun to in the snippets of the intro and translator note like seeing some of it again but i don't have as good a handle on like the macro stuff in the poem sure sure sure. excited about that so sorry yeah yeah and i'm i'm just from not enjoying it as much as its own thing i have not like i i don't think i read it directly as many times i think i I was listening to our first um odyssey episode earlier today and i said that i read the odyssey like actually read it, read it the first like two or three times I was assigned it. And then after that, I just looked up the spark notes so I would know which book 
<laughs> that we were talking about and which of the same points that were going to be brought up over and over again. <laughs> this, the Iliad, I don't think, I, I probably read it for real the first time. And I don't know that I have read it since. Yeah, yeah really, really gone in, in depth with it after that. But something that, and, and Emily Wilson is very gracious. She does not, she does not impugn specifically anybody else's translation except as close as she gets as she calls francis newman's translation quote wonderfully unreadable and peculiar that's the (laughs) and i do not know (laughs) no i think that's the one she says doesn't she say that's that's a little backhand i think is that the one she says is a multilingual translation yeah yeah yeah, yeah, because she is like if you were to do it the way that homer or whoever homer was did it like You'd basically be capturing multiple languages in your poem. So yeah, just she yeah. she at some point talks about if you use like American and Australian uh, and, and Australian and like Southern English and like British English all in the same like yeah. space of the same poem and just acted like everybody would be able to do, like understand it natively. <laughs> but anyway, like my original point is is the and I, I think I will language. bring the other the other. Um, translation of the Iliad I will probably bring for future episodes sure. just because sometimes we compare translations yeah, 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 yeah. to just to highlight what Wilson why we think Wilson is cool <laughs> and what she's doing to make it more accessible than other people but the, but the trap is I think it's a trap. the the temptation is to think of this as like a great work because yeah. it is mm-hmm. kind of foundational to what like written stories are yeah in like western society mm-hmm. um however we want to define western society yeah reasonable <laughs> um and so to, to be, because of that people default to I mean, wilson calls it translationese sometimes like <laughs> they default to a sort of stilted highfalutin yeah language that does not reflect what the text would reflect yeah yeah and i think that i always think of it as like Think about the king. Have you read any to, to any great extent the King James translation of the of the Holy Bible? I have not by God and His Son Jesus Christ. <laughs> I have not really, but I am familiar with kind of how people perceive my, my, the closest analog in my own experience is like how people perceive reading Shakespeare mm-hmm. or his contemporaries without like actually like. Like she says, like reading it to be spoken out loud. You just you think it is vocabulary words, the story mm-hmm. sometimes. And there's just something about like that that stuffy, yep. old old timey kind of language that that makes your eyes glaze over a little bit. Yeah. In, in my opinion, yep. and that's that is what I like so much about the Odyssey. Like it, it was like reading it for the first time again, both because of how she translated it, but also like also because of like just the, the, her translators note is really good at walking you through. Like here are some pitfalls. Like here are some things to notice and to be more aware of when you're, you're reading. Like she talks about how the women in, in the book are generally only allowed to feel any kind of anger in the context of being like angry or sad about like a husband or a son or some other like man in their lives. It is. Yeah. It's just a, it's a good, hers is a good perspective is what I'll say. That's (laughs) my review. And I thought I I want to make sure we started the actual book. I want to make sure we shout this out because we don't want to like spend 
you know, we're gonna. This is not gonna be a long episode relative to other things that we've recorded. So I think we're we're close to most of what we want to say here in episode zero. The big mm-hmm. breakthrough that I didn't know coming in that I'm glad that she talks about is there was a big to do in the translator's note of the Odyssey that I remember where she said. I was able to do the same number of lines as the original. Like she was like, even though I was putting it in English, taking it from Greek and putting it into a, a, you know, historically British kind of poetic meter, I kept the exact same number of lines as Homer did. And yeah, I think the implication is that that is what she got stuck on. Yeah. Like that is one of the big things she got stuck on. So when you were mentioning like the Siren of Atreus thing, like she realized she needed more lines of poetry than the original. And it actually allows her, in her mind, to do a better job of conveying the patronymics, of doing all the name checks. This is a book that ha- this is a poem that's going to have a lot of like lists of people, uh-huh. lists of things. And she has freed herself to use more polys- polysyllabic words than she might otherwise do if she were trying to keep things like super, super short. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what that's going to mean for us reading it, what that's going to feel like, but I'm glad that she at least is like, oh, this was, here's one weird trick for translating the Iliad is <laughs> don't do the exact same lines if you're writing for, in a different language. Well, and she she says that in, in the book, um, on one side, she's going to have the line numbers of her mm-hmm. translation just so people can like refer to them. But then on the other side, she's going to have what the line numbers would have been in the original Greek. So yep. you can more easily compare it to the original and also to very smart uh, other people's translations. Yes, yeah, super smart. And I'm yeah, I think we'll get a sense of like how much bulk she is adding by and like, where. Expand- yeah. Yes. And uh, in expanding the the Greek because she she says and i think any translator will will tell you though i don't think we've ever read it every translator's note we've ever read we just want it to be as good as the <laughs> yes, one in the odyssey and true. i think we've been disappointed <laughs> each time <laughs> but um there are many ways to to convey the the original meaning um the, you need to free yourself of this sort of default assumption that a quote faithful translation is the best way to yep. to do it like it, translating the literal meaning of the word is not always going to give you like great readable like literature. Yep. And so yeah, she's she's taken more room to sort of decompress the subtleties in mm-hmm. the Greek mm-hmm. um and let herself cuz there are a lot of there in in the translator's note she mentions a few instances of there being like multiple words in Greek for something that there is only like one word for in English. Sure. Yeah. And so you need more room around that to convey the, like the, the context and the mood of what the Greek would have been yep. if you, if you were doing it in, in English. The the other version of that that I liked is when she's like, yeah, we, there's a, there's a Greek word that pops up like, Oh, papoi or papoi, which is this kind of um, exclamation of surprise. And she's like, if I were to try to translate it, I would use like wow or dang or yeah. you know, I, <laughs> yes, I just wrote like, down like all beans and she's like, Yeah, you can't all beans do is that. the one I <laughs> she doesn't say all beans, but in my mind is like all beans. And so she's like, <laughs> instead of coming up with, you know, if if Shakespeare were doing it, he would just put z- like zounds or zoons or whatever, you know, like she just says, I just wrote the rest of the words so that you would know the character was surprised. Yes. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> She, you know, 
Yeah, she's like, I couldn't think of a way to put "ugh" in my translation of the Odyssey without <laughs> making it seem like book-breakingly awkward. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. It, again, if you're gonna read this along with us, if you go out and get a copy, we, you know, which we we are in the tank for this already. We're committing to it, so like we can recommend it. Um, you should probably give the intro and a translator's note a read. Like, don't like don't skip them. I don't yeah. think even, even if you feel like you're familiar enough with the work, yeah. skip the the intro, which a lot of it is like not specific to her no. translation, but it's more about the the Greek world as you would need to understand it and more about just like different themes and things like you, you could just as easily go back and read that after to kind of help th- your brain like chew on the work. But you, you really the, the translator's note is shorter and I think you re- it is really essential reading table for, setting. Yeah. Yeah, like grounding yourself in in what her translation of the book is going to be. There are a couple passages from the intro that I know I'm going to come back to for sure. Yeah, when we get to you know Patroclus and Achilles, or when we get to the lists, or you know when we talk about the difference between like kind of a tolerable level of anger that is societally appropriate and like a rage, and what the mm-hmm. difference is between those two things. Yeah, um, and also just a lot of the stuff about how men are de- men specifically yep. are depicted feeling emotions in this book. Like one, one of my favorite things that I think we pulled out as a running gag in our reading of the Odyssey is like Telemachus as just like kind of this whiny fail son. Yeah. Character. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I am looking forward to finding the equivalent, like, you know, if Ach- Achilles, Something happens to him and he's just like slapping his thighs and like openly sobbing. I'm kind of looking forward to <laughs> finding the little bits of like crybaby Achilles that we can make. Yeah, maybe, man. Well, maybe and, have a little bit of fun with. <laughs> yeah. And just figuring out what her characterizations feel like mm-hmm. to just us reading it now. You know, it's because she does. She does mention, you know, in, in the Greek, different characters speaking have like distinct voices yep. and often translations in their in their effort to like heighten everything flatten yeah. that out yep and yep. she yep. didn't want to flatten that out so i yeah i really wanna, she's a theater really kid see. she really is a theater a nerd. kid she's some kind of nerd i love it I love emily it so i don't much. know if you're listening to this you're a friend of the show i know but man have you ever <laughs> considered you might be kind of a nerd <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't know maybe <laughs> um so yeah that's i think that's episode zero andrew I don't, is there anything else you wanted to cover I think that's it. No, I'm I'm just like again. It's, I'm I'm pumped, pumped to be back in the in the land of Homer. Yep, pumped to be back with Emily Wilson, who I know is a guide I trust to to that's take true. me through all of this. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, feels like com- feels like coming back. The the Odyssey was our first ever long like, read. long read project yeah. like this, and we've done a lot of them since, including some you know high literature and some low literature. Listen, <laughs> just just to be able to do. Uh, Dante and Goosebumps in you know like under the same roof. I feel <laughs> yeah. like that that's that's something special that we've created for ourselves. But this is a bit but of I'm a happy. coming Homer. Yeah. Yes. Com- yes. Coming Homer. Yeah. Coming Homer. Um. So eat again, my, eat my eat my sh- why, why you little eat my shorts. <laughs> Say the what are other things that Homer says? Oh, what else does he say? Mm, sorry, Marge. Yeah. Sorry, Marge. <laughs> <laughs> that classic Homer <laughs> catchphrase. Sorry, Marge. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so everybody.
everybody crack a Duff beer with us and yep. look forward to diving into Homer's Homer's the Iliad as brought to you by Emily Wilson. Yep. Uh, again, if you are listening to this on the main feed and you want to join us month by month, go to patreon.com slash overdue pod and you can find out more information on how to do that. Uh, thanks to everybody who does support the show already um, and to everybody who listens who makes long read projects like this possible. Um, we wouldn't do it if there weren't people that we knew we're going to enjoy it. Yeah. At least we wouldn't still be doing it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's it. I, you know, the website and everything is there. Andrew, what's yeah. the URL? Uh, OverduePodcast.com. And yeah. again, we've mentioned it a few times, but if you want to get in on these as they come out, uh, Patreon.com slash OverduePod, which also gets you access to our Discord server where, where people talk about their Baldur's Gate 3 adventures. Yeah. You know, if you want to talk about another epic story, the, the story of Baldur's Gate 3 <laughs> is up there. I would be curious to know what Emily Wilson would think about Baldur's Gate I, 3. You know, she'd probably have a thought. Just what, just what character does Emily Wilson make? In- I do need to know if she has ever played Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? I bet it'd be pretty good. I bet it'd be pretty good. I can't decide. I can't decide if I'd rather have her as a DM or as a player. Either way, I think would be fun. Uh, we will um, post a schedule, probably just like to the Patreon or something, and we can make that unlock so everybody can see it. Yes, we have it. We have a tentative one lined up. Just know for episode one, we're going to be reading the first two books, yep. and episode two, we're going to be reading the second two books, yep. and then after after that, we'll kind of be feeling our way. But we'll we'll have a complete read along list thing. for you yes uh yeah up and up in enough with enough advanced notice that you can follow along if you want to follow along this should take us through july 2024 and the long read project wonderful which is a can't can't wild wait to thing be to be living in july 2024 <laughs> it's a great time it's gonna be uh and the first episode the first combo episode one and two of the iliad will be on the main feed in January, so that's not you know that's a little ways off. If you want to episode this with episode us. one and episode two covering books one yep. to four, just yes. to be clear, correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but those will be episode one's up now. Go listen, mm-hmm. and episode two will be next month. Yeah, baby. Uh, you know what we say at the end of every episode of Stop Homer Time, Andrew. Uh, boy, I don't I don't know yet. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Marge. I don't. I don't. Sorry, Marge. <laughs> That was a HeadGum Podcast.